Your focus. There to you, it's Troy Stockton aboard. Yes, here we go. Another edition of the Rural Focus podcast. If it's happening in agriculture, horticulture, aquaculture circles, we do do our best to bring it to you. Hopefully you harvest if you are doing that, whether it's on the WA coast or the East Coast. You know how tough it has been over there on the East Coast, but uh, yes, hopefully you harvest going along A-OK. Have you ever thought about carbon farming? Have you heard from native carbon, vegetation farming for carbon offsets. Uh, they have a big commitment to carbon offset planters. They've just finished a major planting here in WA. Very soon, we're going to chat with one of the directors about it, Matthew Oswald. Yes, Matthew's going to come on and chat more about uh, native carbon, how things are going. How are you going with your silos and your shelters? You're right. There are some bumper harvests, especially over here in WA anyway. Uh, Wayne Bird from Bird Solos and Shelves. We're going to catch up with him. I know he's uh, very busy out and about, but we thought we'd kick off today's show with uh, a couple of the boys from Four Farmers here in WA. They've been out and about checking out uh, the great crops around WA. And I know that they've got other little bits and pieces like chemicals and uh, fly treatments that they want to speak about today. So it's hello to the big boss at Four Farmers in Phil Patterson and the new kid on the block no till bill yes he's back bill crabtree hello lads yeah, you kid thank you Troy. That's kind of you. <laughs> uh, you boys were out uh meckering uh, the other day uh, what were you doing out that way yeah we're just having a look at the crops and looking at a bit of um, chemical activity or uh, salvaging some weeds that we're getting out of control in wheat and we get a product called mesosulfuron, which people know as Atlantis. Yeah, for $15 a hectare, did a pretty good job at tidying up some out-of-control stuff. You know how it happens when you have a wet year, you Mm. can't always control your wheat. So it was very good to see it, did a good job. And uh, like around uh, a lot of places around WA at the moment, I'm sure the uh, the crops were looking pretty smicko. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah quite yeah. a few five-ton wheat crops, I reckon. Even some patches of five-ton canola. I just double-checked then with the farmer that we met with yesterday and up in the good high soil where yep. he's done delving and spading and put three-ton of lime on. You know, that's going five-ton in patches. Obviously, down in the lower areas, it's one-and-a-half ton uh, or one ton. But yep. that's canola I'm talking about now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Tremendous. No weeds in it, Troy. You know, these were obviously Roundup Ready crops, which I'm honoured to have had a role in helping that get over the line a few years back. Absolutely. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about uh, the moonshine, not not about the drink. Uh, moonshine. Glyphosate. Um, how good is it and what's the saving here, mate? Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. But with People have used it for a good while, particularly in South Australia. You know, you use several tonne of it. Yeah, we just, we, we really want to encourage farmers to have a crack at this. Yeah, we've, yeah. We've, we've got it registered as tech in the tank at the moment, but it will be fully registered as moonshine itself. And so farmers can have a go and it'll knock a dollar fifty thereabouts off the price of glyphosate. And the reason it does that is because we're not adding the base. You know, acid plus a base equals salt plus a water. So when you buy your glyphosate, it's a salt. So if we just sell the acid and not the base, then we can sell the concentrated powder, which we're allowed to do at 97% glyphosate. So what a farmer would do is what he normally would do is he would just put the water in the tank, mm. add his ammonium sulfate, and then he would add a 10 kilo bag one at a time of the uh, moonshine mm. or the, the, the 97% glyphosate. And you just add it a little bit slower because you want it to dissolve properly because we're not adding the base because the base normally helps it to dissolve. So we're not adding that. And that's where the saving comes in. It's quite exciting, Troy. It's and, new. And are you hearing back from WA farmers about this? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. 
used it in WA and South Australia, and they've had no problems with it as long as you get the mixing water correct. It's a really good saving. It's sort of the thing that Phil's been doing for a while, coming yeah. up with new ideas, and farmers get the benefits. Of, you know, and obviously for farmers, Absolutely. it helps us yeah. as well. So it's good to win-win. If farmers don't get it right, what happens? Well, if they put the glyphosate, Does it like burn or? Yeah. No, it'll just clog things up. Okay. Yeah, so so you've got to put the ammonium sulfate in first, and then that'll take the calcium magnesium out of the water, which otherwise might react with the glyphosate acid and cause the glyphosate to glug. So yeah. it, it's not a big deal, but it's not what you want to do. No, absolutely. On your travels, I believe you've been seri- uh, seeing some uh, ameliorated paddocks, mate, from delving and spading and other bits and pieces? Yeah, and, and plots of ploughing as well, and yeah. they're chasing that pot of gold of nutrients. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and at Four Farmers, you know, the team here are very happy for me to talk about general agronomy yeah. and people can come and talk to me about that and I just noticed when I left the, left the No-Till Farmers Association they were often having um, meetings on tillage okay. and uh, there wasn't great expertise about how you know some of those issues with tillage and um, when I was learning how to do no tillage I did a lot of tillage in order to work out where it all fitted so I did a heap of deep ripping trials um, you know nearly 100 deep ripping trials in, in the southwest of WA and I learned a lot and then in the 80 or 90 we bought Clem Obstover who was mixing clay and then Roger Gruco was doing yep, delving. Yep. So I held a lot of series of talks on all that. So I've got a lot of you know, useful information that farmers are welcome to talk to me about it. And there is a bit, fair bit of confusion about it. And, it, and every soil type's a little bit different. So it's worth having a chat if farmers want to. Um, you know, you've got really sandy soils that yep. are deep and don't have clay at depth. It's tricky to manage the nutrients. So a lot, there's a lot of leaching. Even though you can overcome the non-wetting problem by getting the clay on the surface, you're not actually solving the problem of the nutrient availability to the plants through the season because very sandy soil in the winter rain you know nitrogen potassium and sulfur all leach if only focus on nitrogen you'll miss out on your uh, yield potential if you if you forget the sulfur you'll miss out the yield potential if you forget the potassium you'll miss out on the yield potential so there's a matching of you know Matt, i remember bill bowden saying you know match the season with nutrients yep. Yep. and and this is a little bit um, not fully um, understood, I don't think, or, okay. or really well appreciated. Uh, frost in paddocks. I know you and the team there at uh, Four Farmers, you've, you've certainly got a solution in the lab here, haven't you? We have, yeah. yeah. We've, we, we've found a, a gene in wheat that uh, fixes the frost problem, and we're working on it, and we've got it growing at Murdoch University. So we're really quite excited about that, and if people want to um, come and give us a call and have a chat about that, we'd love to share with them. I think, you know, we've, we've really got a breakthrough technology. It's a eureka moment, really. And, and the same with drought-tolerant wheat. You know, we've got that. It's it's more with my company, Green Blueprint, but Phil's very happy that I be innovative, <laughs> because that's the sort of company he is. Absolutely, um, yeah. And we work together on these things as well and to bring them to, to market for farmers. Speaking of uh, the great man, Phil, uh, is he still there, mate, or has he gone off somewhere? Yeah, he's good to go. He's good to go. Let's uh, let's talk some uh, some drenching and fly treatment with you. Phil, what do you got on offer there from Four Farmers? Yeah, look, it gives me a pleasure to bring these two products online, Troy, because, you know, I was probably the only black sheep that left leather left <laughs> walk of a stud and not got donged on the head by Dad. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm a farmer from Noangra, owner of Four Farmers, yep. and I'm pleased to announce that these two products, Moxidectin, which is a drench, mm. and Disoclanol, which people would know as click for flies. Yep. Disoclanol, my kids on the farm are excited because they always got sick of Dad complaining that we could only afford to treat the rams, not all the sheep, because we've got thousands. (laughs) And anyway, now that we've got it and we've been able to 
be about a 35% discount cheaper than what I bought it in town for about three or four months ago. It gives me a bit of a thrill mm. to bring it back, to bring it to the farmers. And farmers will work out the rate and yep. how to apply it and everything else. They're the greatest innovators there is. Um, secondly, we've got moxidectin injectable, which is a drench. Yep. It does all the worms. But notably, it does barbex polesworm for four months and also um, the avermectin and ivermectin-resistant worms. Okay. And our price is about 20% cheaper than market average. So we, we really, you know, my my love is, is sheep and yep. animals and um, I really wanted to get back into trans- uh, animal health products because, you know, as a mate of mine said, there's been no four farmers in animal health and it's still highly profitable. Well, you've got to have your animals healthy, don't you? Well, exactly. And a lot of the farm budgets, the animals are probably shaping, sheep or livestock's probably shaping up better than cropping with the high fertiliser and high chemical prices also. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Moxidectin, of course, uh, the long-acting injection for sheep. So uh, get in contact with the team there at Four Farmers. Uh, what else have you got on offer there, Phil? We've got a heap of crop chemicals we're on the market for. Animal health, I am in talks with uh, resurrecting our old avermectin. We yep. did do animal health about 20 years ago for a little while, but it sort of didn't work. Um, a bit of our problem, but anyway, we want to get back into it and... Um, and, uh, and you are back into it. And, and there is, you know, and I mean, as I said to somebody, I mean, if life's treatment was 30 cents a sheep, everybody would do it. When it's fifty, there's some farmers that don't do it. Mm. And, you know, we made fungicides cheap. Now, people are probably using too much, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> All right there. So uh, I'm guessing you've got wonderful specials as well. Get their orders in now for the farmers, maybe before uh, you go on a bit of a break over Christy and New Year. Yeah, while well, they're on the head of two Troy, think about the patches of weeds that they've got problems with, and there'll be summer weeds they'll need to spray. And 470 yeah. is back, one of our favourite products, uh, and the farmer's favourite too. All yeah, right. that product, we went to 15% surfactant because we thought years ago when Roundup PowerMax was rainfast within two hours, we thought, well, you know, if we put more wetter in, the hours mm. will be just as rainfast. And that, there's a story to that, but I better not say. <laughs> uh, you can say whatever you want, Phil. You can, you're, you're the boss. So uh, feel free to say what, whatever you like. Before we do leave you this morning, would you like to uh, mention anything before either of you? Would you like to? No, I just want to say every cent poor farmers makes goes into reinvesting the next registered product, yep. right? Yep. It, it's, it costs us, depending on the product, 50000 Um We've balked at Isoprotron because it was going to cost probably half a million or more. But I think we've found a way to take that one forward, so that's okay. good. Yes. We're, I'm working on that. That's one of my big projects, Troy. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, Bill come up to me at the when we brought that New Zealand farmer over to talk on Isoprotron <laughs> yeah. back in 2015, and we yeah. had one of Oh, gee, I'm probably going too long. <laughs> but he, Bill, Bill said I could, the trial that he had where isoprotron performed pretty well, he said I could use no-till. Bill said isoprotron would work better in no-till. So I always knew he was a bit of an isoprotron freak like me. So he's picked up the pieces, which yep. I'd only, wasn't thorough enough. Probably, I should say, in our application for a permit. Yep. Well, it take, takes a bit of determination to get some of these products over the line. And, and uh, you know, I think with Phil and I together, I think we've got, got a stronger chance of getting this one, Troy. IPU is very good on ryegrass, and there's no ryegrass that's resistant to it. So it's never been registered in Australia. It has been registered in America, UK, 
and New Zealand, and it's still going in New Zealand. But they took it off in the UK because Sakura was a, be- a well, not a better product, but a, a, a product that would make more profits for the company. Okay. But we can, we reckon we can bring this back in mm. and get probably even better results than Sakura because it won't have ever been exposed. The rye grass won't have been exposed to it. So from a resistance point of view, it's a very nice product, and oh. it gets other weeds as well. So if you want to talk drenching or fly treatment, get in contact with the uh, the team there at Four Farmers, and of course they'll. Uh, look after you with all of the wonderful products that's available there. Uh, what is the best way, Phil, to get in contact with you there at Four Farmers? Oh, well, there is a 1800 number. I don't know what it Just is. The normal number is probably and good. 9356 and, and the good news is my daughter Jacinta's there at the moment. Everybody <laughs> told me how good she was. <laughs> Yeah, she's a champion. I'm working next to her and she's showing me a few tricks for an old dog. <laughs> there you go. 1800 038 445. 1800 Or just go to the website, 4Farmers. That's the number, 4Farmers.com.au. Boys, thanks for your time today. Uh, all the best going forward. Pleasure, Troy. Thank you for your time. The following interview on the Rural Focus podcast is a paid interview. A reminder, this may not be the right product for you and other goods and services may be available. Uh, very busy Wayne Bird from Bird Solos and Shelters is with me this morning. Birdie, good morning, mate. Morning, Troy. How are you? Not bad. I know that you're busy uh, doing deliveries, mate. You've been out and about everywhere around regional WA. Yeah, yeah, getting around a bit. <laughs> All book, music, all over the place, yeah. So, Birdie, how has the year been for you? Yeah, oh, it's had its challenges like everyone else, yeah. but um, no, it ended up ended up pretty well. Um, pretty much got through our orders, and yep. um, yeah, yeah, probably caught up with everything. So yep. basically, yeah, there's no real backlog now. Or, okay. So yeah, ready for start the new year, and we can pretty much um, make it fresh. Get back to yeah. get back to pretty much immediate delivery. So there right. you do uh, silo shelters, self feeders, mate. What are you out delivering? At the moment? Ah, uh, yeah, it's all, all silos. All silos? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so um, all over the place and, yeah, oh, there's lots of different things happening. Um, it's a bit of an issue to get for some people to get rid of grain or, you know, yep. bits and pieces and the bins are filling up. So, yeah, lots of lots of variables this time of the year. But, um, yeah, no, it's good to be in a position where we're not backed up for months and months. That, yep. Um, yep. Yeah, we can, um, as I said, yeah, but come New Year, we can um, pretty much uh, supply within a week or two. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. I've seen on social media, uh, Bertie, that uh, some farmers are looking to reseal sealed silos. Is that something that I'm sure that you, you blokes can do, I'm sure? We sort of get leaves with them, back yeah, from Corrigan yeah. and yeah. Do, um, do all that sort of work for us, yeah. Um, he does some maintenance work for us, and uh, but yeah, that's his main main work is to uh, reseal the silos and yeah, any upgrades they might need. So yep. he's the man for that. All right. Okie dokie. So uh, you're out doing deliveries and everything else at the moment, mate. So uh, looking forward to the new year, what, what do you what do you start afresh with? Uh, yeah, it'll still be silos. Yep. Probably have to do a, a, a run of self-feeders um, yeah, sometime in January just to get sort of a bit of a stock up there and then um, onwards with, um, with silos. Are you getting orders in now for the new year, Bertie? Yeah, get, yeah. getting a few getting coming a few through, in. yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's all working pretty well. All right. So, uh, for uh, the people out there that want to know more on silos, shelters, self-feeders, anything else uh, with you there, mate, uh, what's the best way to go about it? Uh, yeah, just email or check our website out or call 9887505. There you go. You've heard it from the man himself, uh, Wayne Bird from Bird Silos and mm. Shelters there at Poppinetti. Birdie, mate, I'll let you get back on the road. I know you've got plenty of deliveries to do. So, uh, mate, uh, thanks for joining us this morning on Rural Focus. Yeah, no, I just like to uh, 
establish all our clients or everybody actually a, a, a profitable and a safe harvest and a happy new year and, and a great Christmas. Yeah. And thank you for your business over the year. Same to you, mate. Uh, keep safe and uh, we'll chat to you in 2023. All right. Thanks, Troy. The following interview on the Rural Focus podcast is a paid interview. A reminder, this may not be the right product for you and other goods and services may be available. Tom right now catching with, uh, well, one of the directors at Native Carbon, Matthew Oswald, does join me. Matthew, good morning, mate. Good morning, Troy. How are you? How are things going at Native Carbon? Oh, very well, Troy. Um, we've had a, a really big year this year yeah. um, and uh, just sort of wrapping it up before the Christmas break. But yeah, we were we were involved a very large reforestation uh, project this year, um, arguably one of the, the larger sort of environmental projects that was going on in the state. Uh, Native Carbon uh, provides industries with the ability to deliver on its um, decarbonisation commitments. So, so we uh, we got involved in a couple of properties to the north of Mora. About 2,000 hectares of reforestation occurred, um, which was around 1.2 million plants were installed in winter. So a really significant number of mm. plants went in the ground. Yeah, like I said, um, these properties are sort of in the in the north of Mora, in the Weebolt North region, so the Sandplain sort of country. There was two properties. Portions of those properties were chosen for reforestation, um, in which in which those portions of land were relatively unproductive, so pretty marginal. You know, there's 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 times that we visited these properties in which um, you know almost sort of sandstorm sort of conditions, in which you know shallow soil profiles are, are blowing in the wind, and um, it's so marginal that you, you you're unlikely to see even sort of the weed species growing in some of those some of those paddocks as well. So, and they haven't been used utilised for cropping for some time in some of those portions of the property as well. So, look, the reforestation focused in on those parcels of land. Yep. And then um, really positively, they, they did identify on those parcels also if there was a couple of paddocks that were still good enough for cropping, that they remained um, for that purpose and they were leased and utilised by local farmers and neighbours um, to sort of continue that activity, So, which which was important, you know, like to, keep, to keep the local community and the local farmer in, in that location, you know, um, then there was basically a co-use that was investigated and utilised on some of these properties and part of the planning was to make sure that that was going to be successful as well. So, you know, maintaining access to parcels of the property that could be used for cropping while still having reforestation next to it is just, I think, is a really good outcome for these projects. Reforestation activity wasn't a monoculture. It wasn't just a single species of tree species going in the ground, but in most cases we had between 30 and 40 native species um, chosen, and they range from things like acacias and malalucas, um, banksias. There was over 200,000 banksias wow. that went in the ground. Yep. A huge number of banksias, mm. more, more banksias than I've ever seen in my life, actually. So, <laughs> uh, um, And all of those, that, that sort of diversity is, is really important for ensuring not only that you can sort of achieve the carbon credit, but also that you can provide some additional environmental benefits, you know, particularly to Australian fauna. So, for instance, you know, the, the banksias that were planted, they'll be used for foraging by things like the carnaby cockatoo, most People might be familiar that the carnaby is on the critically endangered yeah, uh, yeah. species list. Um, I mean, the reason being um, due to sort of extensive clearing in the past across the metropolitan area in the Wheatbelt region, uh, right into the southwest, there's now sort of a lack of um, foraging food habitats for the carnaby. So those those banksia plantings particularly and, and some other pine species, native pine that have gone in, is going to be really critical for sort of trying to improve um, the well-being of some of our 
sort of unique West Australian fauna. So re- really, really pleasing to see that that's the way that these properties are gone, um, just to try and add some of those additional benefits. And I suppose in the future, what you'll see is not just a, a forest of all the same height, but you'll, you'll see a mid-storey and upper-storey sort of okay. landscape, yep. which, which will, again, you know, attract that fauna species back into the region, encourage movement through those areas as well. So re- really good, really good um, benefits on the environmental side. And I also know, um, too, that you got working with plenty of regional people as well. Uh, why did you go down this way, mate? We believe it's like really important to sort of engage with communities yeah. and um, invite that participation in the delivery and that these projects don't operate in, in isolation, that, they, that there's flow-on effects and benefits for, for having um, these reforestation projects sort of um, in the areas and in towns. So we had some really good engagement levels, actually. So we actively um, uh, went out to uh, Mora in particular and sort of did a lot of interviews, yeah. um, both through the employment agency and through um, other contacts in town um, and we found um, good levels of engagement for people to be involved in this project, in particular involvement in the plant installation. So the planting of the 1.2 million um, stems is all typically still done uh, manually. Well, it is on our project. So um, you need some pretty big numbers of labour to get those numbers in the ground in in winter. So we ended up with a good engagement level, sort of 24% actually, um, from the from the local Moor region, yep. um, which was which was great to Fantastic. see. Yeah. You mentioned Aboriginal engagement as well. So um, one of our targets in native carbon, we, we set our own target um, of around 25% uh, minimum uh, Aboriginal engagement. Now look, that that engagement target is quite high actually when compared to other industries such as the civil industry and a few others and really pleasingly we actually ended up with a, a Aboriginal um, participation target for people involved again in the planting side of things of 51% so we, we well exceeded that sort of internal target that we had set and we had some really really good candidates um, sort of become involved and join in not only the planting, yep. which is the which is the main labour activity that occurs, but also we had Aboriginal participation in seed collection. So this time of the year, you'd be collecting seed through okay. the summer. Some of that will go into the nursery industry straight away. Some of that will be stored for, for future years. So we had Aboriginal engagement in the seed collection. Um, we also had um, Aboriginal engagement involved in um, weed control. Um, so there's some targeted species of weeds that, that, that occur on property, um, trying to sort of reduce that biomass of weed as well to sort of improve reveg outcomes. And other activities like fence removal. So some of the internal fences oh, are removed right. yeah. where, they're, where yeah. they're no longer required. You know, they may of one, at one stage be required for the um, running of livestock and, and a few other bits and pieces. But um, basically, we can sort of open up some of that property yeah. back up again um, for forestry, reforestation. So, yeah, there was a, it was a yeah. good... A good number of scopes that Aboriginal people were involved in. And um, look, the, the main aim of Native Carbon moving forward is, yep. is to really look at those opportunities in which some longer term employment positions might be available. So rather than just having short term engagement, um, how can we sustain um, regional and Aboriginal engagement through more parts of the year? We think at Native Carbon, there's some good opportunities, both in the farm management side of things. So there's ongoing farm management for fire break, things like fire break access points, um, generally maintenance of property um, and, and weed load suppression, which occurs through a fair, a fair portion of the year, really. So look, our, our intent and our strategy is to see if, if we can basically sustain employment longer term um, and, and get more and more involvement in the future with um, locals and Aboriginals, so, which, sure. um, which I think which really has a 
you know, a yeah. huge benefit to people's lives in the future. You know, they can uh, make a career in these areas. You know, there's 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 um, training opportunities through TAFE, other training organisations that really link into this activity that's occurring. And of course, you can basically make a career out of sort of reforestation, revegetation work. So since you've done all these planting uh, just uh, near more or money, have you gone back out and done any surveys about what you planted and all that? Yeah, yeah. so um, we go out pretty regularly. Okay. So it's part, it's part of that ongoing sort of um, management of property. There's regular visits out there. Things are looking really good at the moment. We've had a, obviously had a very favourable season. Um, we sort of had that early May. Um, we had really good rainfall through all of winter and, and had a, a fairly good follow-up season as well. So, look, plant stock is looking really good. We'll do um, surveys at the end of summer. So we'll let the plants go through the worst of it. And then we'll do detailed monitoring of uh, a number of plots on property. And that'll feed into, you know, future species that need to be targeted. Some that were really successful, you know, focusing on those. Some that didn't, um, weren't as successful. So perhaps, you know, less, less of those species. So that'll occur at the end of May and then again after winter. And as part of the ACU sort of monitoring as well. There's basically yearly monitoring as well. So in terms of looking at the progress of the height of the plant and the density, that all that all gets looked at yearly. So yeah, look, yeah, last week we were there and really <laughs> pleasing. Like um, still enough soil moisture in yep. the ground to keep things along. I mean, the, 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 the test really be the next few months, of course, over summer. summer. But the, the, the important thing is the species that have been chosen are, are sort of the species that occur in that region. So we're, we're confident and um, that some of those will make it through particularly some of that soil conditions like there's some some really sort of degraded sections of sandy soils out there but things like banksias are well adapted to those sort of conditions so We'll continue to have a look at it pretty regularly and then um, do a, a sort of a in- intensive field investigation after summer. Would you be looking to, say, double your capacity going forward, mate? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, moving forward looks like, uh, we've, like you said, it's yeah. pretty much exactly that. So yeah. um, 4,000 hectares coming up <laughs> for next season. Um, it's, that makes it into the sort of 2.4, 2.5 million plants um, that need to be installed. So um, to get those numbers, we're very frantically looking at uh, large collections of seed currently. So we've got a number of collectors occurring throughout the region. People like the Shire of Mora, by the way, has been a fantastic supporter in just in opening up some of the parcels of land uh, that they manage as well. So we do collections on property um, to sort of try and get as, as endemic um, as we can. But there's um, road reserves and other areas that have been opened up to us uh, adjoining properties. So lots of seed collection. And the other thing that needs to occur, Troy, is um, you need to have enough seed collection banks for the future as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, every season is not the same and species will, you know, sometimes have a good year and a bad year one after the other, just depending on the environmental conditions that occurred. So you really need to try and get collections in store so then you can sort of keep feeding the seed supply into plant propagation. I was going to say, uh, we're about to be looking to plant next, mate. Oh, still in the same, same area. area. So right um, yep. sort of to the north of Mora again mm. and to the east of Mora. So pretty pretty similar country. Um, a lot of it's on that sort of same sand plain country. So pretty similar species again. Pretty pretty comparable comparable conditions as well. So um, we're confident. Like we've, we've obviously done a, a successful year this year with a number of really fantastic um, subcontractors that helped us deliver some of the surface preparation and plant and soil as well. So it's all pretty familiar soils and profiles. Yep. So 
much, much for muchness, really. Now, if people want to know more with you and the team there at Native Carbon, how can they do that, mate? Yeah, the best way, I would say, is to uh, just jump onto the website, so www.nativecarbon.com.au, and Native is N-A-T-I-V-C-A-R-B-O-N, so no E in Native.com.au. Native Carbon Director Matthew Oswald, mate, uh... Well done, and uh, good luck going forward, mate. Thanks, Troy. Thanks for the call. Yeah, nice to chat there with Matthew Oswald from Native Carbon. Check out the website today, nativecarbon.com.au. Well, that's it for today's edition of the Rural Focus podcast. Thank you for your company today. I'm Troy Stockton. I look forward to bringing you another Rural Focus podcast again very soon.